From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Pedram Hamra on confocal biomicroscopy and dry eye, and Catherine Hatch on intraoperative aberometry. Whether the inflammation that you see at the time is a cause or a consequence, I don't think it really matters. The point is that you have to treat it. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you. Speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the annual meeting of the American Academy of Ophthalmology in New Orleans. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today we will hear from Pedram Hamra on confocal biomicroscopy and dry eye and Catherine Hatch on intraoperative aberometry. All of these interviews were fantastically interesting to me and I learned a lot in these conversations. I hope that you enjoy them as much as I did. I'm here with Pedram Hamra. Pedram, you're doing really, really interesting work um, with confocal and the cornea and dry eye. Let, let, let me set this up. Right. So I, have, I see a lot of patients with dry eye. I guess we all see a lot of patients with dry eye. And to some extent, dry eye is kind of, of a final common pathway for a lot of different pathologies. You can observe whether there is an inflammatory aspect, whether there is an inflammatory keratitis that's associated with the dry eye. Can I get you to tell me about this a little bit? So it started with me um, being frustrated about treating dry patients because when I started my practice five, over five years ago, you did the regular routine things and many times the patients didn't respond, they're frustrated. So I became interested in actually doing live imaging of these patients and with the confocal, we can get 800 time magnification getting basically the cellular um, aspects of the cornea. Now, as people know, inflammation is a um, part of the pathophysiology of dry. And um, since dry is a continuum, we don't really know at the time you see the patient, does the patient have inflammation at the time? Or did they pass an episode of inflammation? Are you dealing with the consequences of the damage caused by the inflammation? And as we know, when you put patients on steroid, for example, some respond, some don't respond. So with the confocal microscopy, since you can see the cellular changes, you can actually see the inflammatory or immune changes in the cornea life in these patients. And based on that, you can tailor your um, therapeutic uh, response, therapeutic um, drugs that you tailor to them, whether you should use anti-inflammatories, with how much you should use, it should be use a lot or, or less. In addition, you can see the nerves, where you can see the neurotrophic component. And in some patients, there's complete nerve loss or near-complete nerve loss and the neurotrophic not to the level of like in severe herpetic infections, but pretty um, severe. And 
the final thing you can see is the epithelial changes, which you can see more objectively than on corneal staining. And based on this, you can kind of tailor the approach of should we put the patient anti-inflammatory, do they need more lubrication, may they be a candidate of autologous serum tears to regenerate the nerves, and that's how we basically tailor it in my practice. So uh, an, an inflammatory uh, finding can, can be... You know, it, 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 it can be part of the disease process. It can also be a response to dry eye from a non-inflammatory etiology. Can you tell when you see inflammation in the cornea whether it is, whether in a sense the dry eye is secondary to the inflammation or whether the inflammation is secondary to the, to the dry eye? I don't think you can tell that because dry is a continuum and you have these um, inflammatory episodes coming in waves, like in rheumatoid arthritis. And whether the inflammation that you see at the time is a cause or a consequence, I don't think it really matters. The, the point is that you have to treat it. Now, when you say that, that, that you can tailor therapy, is it simply that you look at the inflammatory status of the cornea and you say, therefore, I'm going to choose this, this therapy? Or can you actually get a, a baseline, institute therapy, and see whether the patient changes from, from baseline? So I use it several things. For me, it's a routine test now, um, but it takes a lot of effort to get there, having a whole team to kind of help with the with it being routine. So is, is you using this clinically? I use it clinically in every single dry patient, um, at least at baseline, and depending on how they do on follow-ups, on some follow-ups, um, at least every three months. Yeah, can, can you use your findings... Number one, to, is it simply that you use your findings to tailor therapy, or can you see changes it's, from baseline oh, once you've, you've instituted three therapy? things. One, the patient sees what happens in the cornea, so they have a feedback mechanism. Because if they're improving and they don't feel it yet, you kind of help them to go through the phase until they get better. From an, from so an education they don't, standpoint. They don't, they don't give up. Second, you kind of can decide if there's absolutely no inflammation, there's little lower for steroids, you maybe use it very infrequently to prevent it as a prophylaxis, or you can put them on cyclosporin or other drugs. If you see significant inflammation, I put them on a taper, but as you just said, you don't really know in dry patients when to stop the anti-inflammatories. And when you scan them and you see the inflammatory response changing or diminishing, that gives you a hint of when to decrease or when to stop the therapy. Now, I, I, the, 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 the thing that I like to do least is to ask people to, to generalize. Have you been surprised that certain therapies with uh, certain phenotypic presentations work better or work worse than you than you otherwise would have thought? Dry is multifactorial, yeah. so you don't have a single um, component to it. So a lot of times it's very complicated. You address one component, the patient gets some better, but they still have complaints because other aspects are not addressed. For example, you have a patient who may be um, improving the tear breakup time by treating the meibomian gland dysfunction, but they still have significant conjunctival chalasis, which won't not go away with that. And so the discomfort of that will reside versus the evaporative component, um, etc. So you have a culmination of different components of dry leading to the patient's symptoms. And once you address each of them independently, that usually helps to the, the patients get resolved symptoms. Yeah, really, really great, great stuff. You know, I, I, what can I tell you? I wish I had one in, in, my, in my office too. Pedram, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Josh. I'm here with Catherine Hatch. Katie, you did a study looking at intraoperative aberometry and toric IOL outcomes. Can I get you to sort of set, set this up? What was the, the question that the study sought to answer? 
Thanks, Josh. We, we were looking at the use of intraoperative aberometry with the use of toric IOLs, and it basically was trying to address two questions. Um, we were looking to determine whether the toric IOL um, power, whether we were changing our power intraoperatively, and also it helped with alignment how we are aligning our torque IOLs, um, how, how, how good of a job are we actually doing um, without aberometry? And what this paper was looking at is, are our, our, our outcomes going to be better with, with aberometry? So what, what, what was the, the design of the study and, and what was the, the, the main outcome measure that, that you were following? So the main outcome measure was uh, mean, we were looking at mean residual refractive astigmatism postoperatively, and um, it was a non, uh, not, it was a non- retrospective comparative trial uh, in a private practice setting with myself and um, Dr. Talamo. We were the two surgeons involved in the study. And how, how large was that? How, how many patients were? were it wasn't. A, it wasn't a, a huge study. We had 30, 37 patients in our aura group, and we had um, 27 in our, our non-amberometry group. And um, What did you find? We found that we had uh, patients were in the aberometry group were two and a half times more likely to uh, have a reduction in their astigmatism with the use of aberometry compared to non-aberometry. And that's, that was the, the group specifically in the less than half a diopter. Of, huh. of residual refractive astigmatism. So tell me, I mean, I, I'm as I come as a shock to you. I know I'm a geek, so I'm I'm, I'm interested in uh, these these sort of sorts of things. I have I have two questions. One is, having done this study, or or even while you were doing this the study. Is it your general practice to use intraoperative aberometry for every single Torah case? And then question two is, how much time does that add to the case? So we we for higher for higher toric lenses I I'm using it almost all the time. I mean I I, I feel that certainly um, you know for the T6 T5s and, and above I think it, it has a significant role, especially for the rotation um, component. So just getting it exactly on axis and it does add a, it does add, it does add a few minutes to the operating rooms times. Uh, so that is something we, we have to account for. Kitty, you know, I, I understand that the outcomes were better for the aura group in terms of the post-operative residual cylinder. And presumably, this is because, I would guess, you got some information from the aberometer that prompted you to rotate to make an adjustment with the orientation of the torque lens, how how often did that happen? How how often did you did you get a reading and say, I am going to go and I'm going to rotate the lens a little bit? So in about two thirds of patients, we didn't need to rotate the lens. Um, so actually, one in three patients did have at least one additional rotation, um, and the power the torque power that we used, we did change that in uh, 25% of, of patients as well. So one in four patients had a power change in terms of the torque power, and then one in three patients had a rotation Meaning change. Meaning that, that, that you put in the uh, lens, they got an aura reading, you decided to explant the lens right there and put another lens? No, actually, we did an aphagic reading, and then we um, were maybe oh, planning for a T4, and then we would do a T5 or do a T... Yeah, saying. or... 
exactly. Yeah, so I mean, the, from, from, from my standpoint, that's, that's interesting and it's gratifying in, in two ways. Number one, I'm happy to hear, not doing this personally, that two-thirds of the cases that you didn't change. But uh, I mean, clearly, this, this sounds like a valuable tool. Absolutely. But even in those two-thirds of patients that we didn't change, we did we could see the uh, under the operating microscope and, and with the use of the OR, we could actually see the axis that it was telling us where, where to place it. So it, even though we weren't rotating, we did have some guidance with the OR oh, in I those cases. Yeah, I was, I mean, we're, we're hoping to do some of these, the, these things too. So I'm interested on a, on a, on a personal level, but I'm concerned with the amount of time that it's going to add to the, to the case. Really vital stuff. Katie, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Thanks very much, Josh. Pedram Hamra comes to us from the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary in Boston, Massachusetts. Catherine Hatch is in private practice in Boston, Massachusetts. Ask questions of Dr. Hamra, Dr. Hatch, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iworld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.